0: For the past seven weeks, this cold open has been an opportunity for me to be, well, me. Uh, I've gotten to make jokes about white ninjas and praise my home state of Washington, mention one of my favorite films, High Fidelity, and go on a really weird tangent about wine and bees. Well, this week, I cannot do that. It's the eighth episode, and for the first time on this show, we're tackling a film that is, quote, important. And I don't mean that pejoratively or comparatively. Yes, talking about Beverly Hills Ninja is utter nonsense and should be joked about. But to talk about a film based on a horrific true event that happened 99 years ago, a film that explores issues that we are still fighting in this country today, Shouldn't be joked about, but approached with honesty and candor. Hello there. My name is Adam St. John. I'm an actor, teacher, podcaster, and uh, apparently a millennial. And this is Rewind 2552. We're going back a quarter of a century to the week to discuss the newest, highest grossing entry into the U.S. box office. 25 years ago, 52 weeks in a year. We are at week eight and I'm so happy to have my guest on this week. He is one of uh, a couple of co-hosts of the Oscar Worstie podcast. His name is Paul Workman. Paul, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you tonight? I'm, I'm good. It definitely has felt like a day. Uh, I don't know if you have children, but um, it's the, f- yes. <laughs> the, the first half of my day. Um, it's like, it's like winter break for me as a, as a teacher. So, um, I got to kind of spend the day with my wife and it was like, oh, hey, this is great. And then they both got home and I was like, oh yeah, okay. I gotta be like a, <laughs> an adult again. So it, it's a, it's a good day. It's been, it's been, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to have like sort of shifted wife. Okay. Now you have to take care of the kids for a little bit so I can do this.
1: <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. No, uh, the reason I, I set up recording for this so late is cause I, I play music and read to my kids for bedtime. So, uh that's that's an important routine for me well but
0: and and we are definitely we're on different coasts so that's also a thing too you're in you're in virginia is that right
1: that is correct okay
0: awesome awesome
1: Uh, um a little place called bad news bad news oh newport news but that's what we call
0: got it got it see i that that, is that is that is that a virginia joke that just goes wide over my head (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah. So there might be one or two listeners you have out there that might get that joke.
0: Perfect. Um, Hello to them. Well, uh, so the the week that we are specifically talking about in 1997 is uh, February 21st through the 27th. So I do not imagine that you can tell me specifically what you were doing that week. But generally, it's 1997. It's February. How old are you? Uh, Where were you living? What is your clearest memory of this time?
1: All right, so uh, I don't, I can't do specifics, but I can tell you that I, uh, I turn thirteen on the twenty seventh. Oh,
0: happy birthday!
1: <laughs> yeah, so this is uh, this is my birthday week of of ninety seven, and um, I'm I'm living in Bad News, Virginia, uh, and a lot of my clearest memories is this is this is actually kind of the time I start really discovering film. I, you know, I'm, I love movies to this point, but I'm living down the street from this mom and pop video store that I can walk to takes me like 15 minutes to walk there, but I do it often. And I use my allowance to rent movies and, uh, I kind of make friends with the owner's son. And if he's behind the desk, he lets me rent whatever I want. Yeah. As long as it's not adult. in the back triple
0: x yeah behind the curtain yeah Yeah.
1: so so that's that's where the line is drawn but i mean i'm running things like like the godfather and train spotting and i'm 13 like so this this is really like my film school is walking down the street to this place and uh uh i mean it probably won't start until later on in the year but but that's around this time
0: yeah. It's, it's, it's so great that you say that. Cause I, I know my, my girls are seven and four and they will, they will never know what a, a, a video rental store was. And, and right. the one in my small town that I used to live in was called video farm. And it was, it was a bike right away. And they also had the curtained off section that you weren't allowed to go into. Um, and I was at the ripe old age of 10 at this point. And, um, <laughs> but also, and, and like, I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing that my parents did, but on like our account, it said Adam can rent whatever he brings up. So I, I think the the two movies I vividly remember seeing in this year, which I was way too young for, were uh Pulp Fiction, which to this day is my absolute <laughs> favorite movie, and uh and Scarface, which is not great, but also was like no. my mind was like I, I don't think I could comprehend yeah. what was going on.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was I I probably saw Scarface around this time too, and just was like, wow, that's three hours long and violent and weird. Yes. I think
0: I like it. All of those things.
1: Saw it as an adult. I was like, no, no, I don't like this.
0: (laughs) Um, Well, awesome. Cool. Thank you for that. Um, So that was a bit uh, microscopic. We're going to get a bit more macro now with what was going on in the world. Um, On February 22nd of 1997, the world is introduced by the Roslyn Institute of Scotland to Dolly the Sheep.
1: I was wondering if that was going to come up on this episode. Yeah.
0: I, I only pull a few things, but I was like, come on. That's cool. That's really.
1: Yeah. Uh, mostly I, mostly when I think of that, I think of the Will Ferrell playing Harry, Carey talking about it on SNL.
0: <laughs> I just, I just love that. This was so, so long ago. Um, yeah. Uh, and then uh, a few days later on February 26th, cause we'll, we'll talk about uh, music here in a second. Um, but the uh, the 39th Grammy Awards uh, were that night um, and just the the three big awards record and song of the year went to change the world which was performed by Eric Clapton and produced by babyface
1: oh I remember this
0: song yeah exactly yeah. and album of the year was uh, Canada's own Celine Dion for her album falling into you lovely yeah I know very 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 sw- sweet album um so uh, something I don't get to do every episode Um. Is uh, I get to talk about the Nielsen ratings, so um, I was able to find the thirty, the top thirty shows ranked through the year, um, and so far it's been like everybody loves Raymond, uh, The Simpsons. I think the last one I talked about was Walker Texas Ranger, but this one, this is this also really dates like nineteen ninety seven because the number twenty seventh highest rated show in in nineteen ninety seven was nbc sunday movie night and again i don't think that my girls would ever really know that there was like basic cable one night a week it was like they're gonna show a movie yeah
1: (laughs) and and we were just talking on uh an episode of my show just recently uh how how that's how i used to watch top gun when i was a kid was we had it recorded from tv yeah on a vhs like so, had to fast forward through commercials and everything. It was oh, yeah. wonderful.
0: That's the way to do it. Um, And so I just, so I went through, I found, I found, I think w- Wikipedia is just an amazing thing. I went through Wikipedia and they had yeah. the whole lineup. <laughs> so just some of the movies that NBC showed that year were Terminator 2, Batman oh. Forever. Uh, these oh, last, s- uh, these next two, uh, <laughs> they showed Congo <laughs> and they showed <laughs> Time Cop. Oh yeah. It was just amazing.
1: Um, love me some Roland
0: Emmerich. But, uh, the, but bringing it back to this week, on February twenty third, and I believe I read this correctly, for the first time on TV shown in its full length was uh, Schindler's List on NBC Sunday Movie Night.
1: I remember when that happened.
0: So I remember yeah. the commercials
1: for that and everything because we used to be real big into the NBC Sunday night or Thursday night lineup. Oh so yeah, watching Seinfeld and Friends around this time. Yep, yeah,
0: exactly, exactly. So I and that was a fun way to bring it back into to the week. Um, okay, so The Billboard Hot 100 For the first time in, in in doing this podcast This is the eighth week And Tony Braxton's Unbreak My Heart Has finally been dethroned it Oh is,
1: good, my, my wife hates that song
0: <laughs> It is it is no longer The number one song in the country Because in fact This song is I'll tell you what I want, really, really, really My lover, you gotta get with my friends. Make it last forever. Friendship never ends. If you wanna be my lover, you have got to give. taking is too easy, but that's the way it is. Oh yeah. Yes. No. Uh, there
1: now that's the story from A to Z.
0: Yes, yes. You wanna get with me, you gotta listen carefully. Uh this <laughs> so this was not new to the charts, but it had finally made its way up to number 1. Yes, it is indeed Wanna Be by Spice Girls from their very first album. Um I just pulled the I I couldn't believe how big the Wikipedia page was for just this song. So, I really oh no. I just I just pulled a few things out. Um uh just as a reminder to anybody who maybe doesn't know, uh Spice Girls were made up of Mel B, who was Scary Spice, Mel C, Sporty si- uh Sporty Spice, Uh, Victoria, Posh, Jerry was Ginger, and Emma was Baby. Um, I I pulled these two things because I thought this was just great. So Wannabe became the best-selling single by a girl group in the world with 1,385,211 copies in the UK and 2,910,000 copies in the US. And that's just the single. That's not the album. And over 7 million copies worldwide by the end of 97. And I thought this was great. In a, t- in a 2014 study, it was found that Wannabe was easily the most recognizable pop song of the last 60 years.
1: The most recognizable. That, That's a claim. I, I, it
0: kind of is. I mean, the when- last 60 years, I mean... That, that mean that's like i think the beatles get involved i mean i think there's like yeah you know like yeah. a, michael jackson i mean like
1: what what year what year did you say this this study was done
0: 2014
1: 2014 so you're looking at yeah uh 1954 that's 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 elvis that's the beatles that's
0: yeah yeah a lot of <laughs> a lot of a lot of important music came out in that time that's that's something that is something that's... Uh, That's so, lofty. So really, really cool to uh, to see a new a new song. Uh, I don't think until it won't be until the end of the year that we have a run like we had uh, right now with with uh, Tony Braxton being dethroned. Uh, right. But we're not here to talk about the Spice Girls or Tony Braxton. We are here to get to movies. So before we get to our film of discussion, I'm gonna go quickly through the top ten films that week at the box office. Um, I'll, I'll give you a chance to just throw out some quick, like, oh yeah, I remember that one. And then we'll get into talking about our, our movie of discussion. So number 10 and down two spots this week, the English patient number nine and down two spots this week, Jerry Maguire number eight and down two positions this week, that darn cat exclamation point, uh, number seven and new this week and the film that we are talking about today, Rosewood. Number six and down one spot, Fools Rush In. Number five and down one spot, Vegas Vacation. Uh, number four and down one spot, and our episode from two weeks ago, Dante's Peak. Number three and down one spot, and our episode from last week, Absolute Power. And <laughs> this is just where we were at the times. Number two. And down one spot was the re-release of Star Wars A New Hope. And number one was the re-release of Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back. So yeah. that is where we are with the box office. Anything grab you from that list of movies? Um
1: I mean, all of them do. Like I said, this is this is a real important time for me. So yeah. what what did we have again going from 10?
0: Uh the English patient, Jerry Maguire. Okay. That oh.
1: I was gonna say English patient will be covering on my show at some point. Uh, at the beginning of next year. Mm-hmm. Said so jerry Maguire, uh love it, love Cameron Crowe. Uh
0: that darn cat.
1: Christina Ricci was like my biggest celebrity crush when I was a kid.
0: <laughs> there you go. Uh we'll we'll save the Rosewood thoughts cuz that's next. Um That's fair. Fools Rush In.
1: Uh I got that uh that and four other DVDs for free when I bought my first DVD player for a, a <laughs> like mail-in thing.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> um, so yeah. Vegas vacation, which I will quickly say, and this is rather unfortunate. That was my, that was my intro to the vacation movies was this one. Oh, that's rough. That's real rough. It was
1: Uh, because that, that is easily one of the worst films ever made.
0: Yes. Oh, I, I I know Um, uh, Dante's peak. Uh,
1: I, I have a, I have a picture in this photo album of me and my cousin and my sister running in front of a fake uh, Pierce Brosnan and Linda Hamilton (laughs) at uh, universal studios in California.
0: Oh, that's great. That's great. Um, And then number three was absolute power.
1: Uh, Let me some Clint Eastwood. Uh, That one's escaping me. So, uh, okay. that the only one I don't have thoughts on, I guess.
0: And, and and honestly, I, I I don't, I don't want to be the one I, I don't, I'm not the star Wars guy. I mean, I've seen them all. Good, good for you, George Lucas. Make that money. Um, I don't have any real new thoughts on Star Wars.
1: Yeah, here's here's my my porg and my R two D two wicket lunchbox. Uh, there's there's a that right there's a picture of me and my wife with Warwick Davis at Star Wars celebration. <laughs> nice. So, nice. I'm I'm a Star Wars nerd. I have one tattoo. It's an Empire tattoo, and both my sons are named after Star Wars characters. So. Oh, that's great.
0: That's great. No, I like I, when it runs deep. That's fine. I think there are yeah. some, like, I don't, I wouldn't even know the words, some, like, basic, I, some, like, basic Star Wars fans, you know, like, who have, like, mm. come into it recently. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, the Mandalorian, and I'm like, shut the fuck up. Don't start with that. <laughs> that might be good, but, like, don't start I, with that.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll turn you around here and show you my bookshelf of nothing but current Star Wars literature. <laughs> it, I... I am of the uh, the opinion, and you can go back through my Twitter and find some of these uh, hashtag all Star Wars is good Star Wars. It may not all be great Star Wars, but there's something from every Star Wars that matters and is important.
0: Oh, I, I was still, I, I, I have been known to say maybe on air, maybe not, that I think that the uh, the lightsaber battle in Phantom Menace is one of the all-time best fight scenes ever filmed. I think that is incredible. Uh,
1: it's, it's, it's really hard to disagree with that. I'm and maybe it's just because I'm an old man now, but uh, it, it's always going to be the the lightsaber fight from Empire for me.
0: Sure, sure. Um, but you know what? We are not here to talk about Star Wars. We again, I will ramble. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> All good. <laughs> uh, we are here to talk about uh, Rosewood. Uh, Rosewood was directed by John Singleton and written by Gregory Parrier. Um, I'm just going to read through, um, there, I mean, there's a, it's a huge cast. I will probably leave somebody out who deserves credit. I don't do it intentionally. I'm just going to read some of the names of people who stood out to me. So, uh, we have Ving Rames who stars as Ram, uh, Don Cheadle as Sylvester, John Voight as Mr. Wright, Bruce McGill as Duke, Lauren Dean as James Taylor. Uh, you have, uh, Catherine Kellner as his wife, Fanny, uh, Esther Rolle as Aunt Sarah, Elise Neal as Scrappy. Uh, Michael Rooker as Sheriff Walker, uh, Caitlin—I don't know how to say her last name—Caitlin Meisel, I don't know, as Mary. That would be um, John Voight's wife. And then Robert Patrick, who's in this scene for like five minutes, as uh, yeah. Fanny's lover. I know I left people out. I don't do it I, intentionally, but oh yeah, you want to give some I'll, love? I
1: want to give a—I want to give a quick shout out to Paul Benjamin, who's a who's a character actor. I'm a big fan of, and was uh, his first film was uh, Midnight Cowboy. He was playing a waiter. Or a bartender.
0: Now, and is he he's um he's Don Cheadle's uh br- brother? No. Uh
1: brother, father?
0: Father, maybe.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I believe that's right. James Carrier. Yeah. Now he's I, excellent I, in this film.
0: I did leave out one name, and I I do that intentionally because uh this person is gonna come up come up later. Um uh so I, I don't wanna get I, I I'm not skipping over John Singleton because I want to have a bigger conversation about him later, maybe when we talk about Mount Rushmore. But obviously, as we talk about the movie, we will, too. Um, uh, in terms of accolades, uh, something I had never heard of before, the Acapulco Black Film Festival. Um, it had noms for Best Film, Actor, and Director. All of those were lost uh, to the film Eve's Bayou. And it also lost— oh, <laughs> that's a
1: that's a great film.
0: Yeah, I know. Um Uh, and it also lost best soundtrack to a movie called love Jones, which I haven't seen, but I will be covering on the show in a couple of weeks.
1: That's, that's a wonderful romance. I think, I hope you enjoy that. I,
0: I, I, I plan to, I plan to enjoy every movie I watch and then it just depends (laughs) on, on what happens. Um, uh, uh, at the Berlin International Film Festival it was up for the Golden Bear Award which it lost to the people versus Larry Flint um, the the motion Picture Sound editing Guild nominated it for best sound effects uh, sound editing effects and Foley which it lost to Titanic which because you know Titanic would just win everything um, Something called yeah. the Political Film Society gave it Best Expose and Best Human Rights Films. And uh, yeah. Gregory Poirier won a special award from the WGA. Those are sort of the big ones I wanted to talk about there. Uh, question time for you. I didn't, I didn't tell you the practice, and this is always very fun for me. This is 1997. Okay. This is when uh, Siskel and Ebert are still uh, very much at the height of their reviewing power. Did this movie get two thumbs up? I know we got Ebert, so I'm going to say yes. It did. Um, okay, good. Yeah, and uh, I, I watched the clip of that. Um, this like Most of this whole year is available on YouTube, which is great. Um, they were both very, um, very, very much big fans of the movie. Um, parts that they didn't like are also parts that I didn't like, which will probably come up later. Uh, this is just the last paragraph from Ebert's uh, three-and-a-half-star review. He said, Rosewood was expensive. And there is some question in the industry about what audiences will be drawn to it. It, It's not easily summarized in ads and does not obviously appeal to either blacks since it documents such a depressing chapter or whites depicted as murderous or ineffectual. Perhaps it perhaps it will appeal to people looking for a well-made film that tells a gripping, important story. Now, there's a notion. That was the last paragraph of his review. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes wise, it has an eighty-seven percent critical and eighty-three percent audience score. So, that's all of the sort of jibber jabber at the beginning. Let's jump into the movie, Paul. You've you've seen Rosewood. You're trying to you want to tell somebody about it. What is the first thing you would do? The first thing that you would explain to sell somebody on this movie?
1: oh man this is (laughs) this is one of those i i would never suggest to everyone
0: sure yeah
1: it this is a tough movie to watch it's a tough movie to sell which is you know we'll i'm sure we'll get into that in a moment but um i don't know i i i think i'd mostly go with it's a gripping and beautiful film with really deep performances in it. Uh, if, if, if you're looking to be depressed for the rest of the day, this is a great film for you.
0: Yeah. I mean, it does, it it does have that. I mean, um, and I don't, I don't, again, it's, it has that sort of Schindler's list. This is an important movie kind of sheen to it, which I think it, it does obviously considering the subject, matter but also it can also be a deterrent for for exactly i mean this is about this is about it. it, if we take this not necessarily what actually happened but if you take this story at its face value you're talking about a story in which a white woman lies about what happened to her claims that a black man raped her and then a group of whites go in and murder a bunch of people and burn the ha- their town down. I mean, and that I I'm skipping over character stories and stuff like that, but like right. that's that's the 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 meat of the story. And yeah, it's it's rough. And I I I I don't know if this was good. I watched this. I started this at like seven thirty, so I didn't have to spend the rest of my day uh, down in the dumps because I basically was just like, oh shit, I'm gonna have some wine and then try to go to bed because it, it because it's heavy. Um, the thing. The thing that I would I would say, and, and I, I'm just taking part of what you said, I just want to expand on it because mm-hmm. this is a beautiful film. It yeah. it opens up, and we have that just that overhead shot of the of the town, and I was like, I, I it was like such a nerdy thing, but I was like, that's a gorgeous shot, and it, um, this this I'm gonna really date myself here because of uh, <laughs> uh, because of when I when we're recording this and when it's going to be released. But last night, my wife and I uh, finally watched The Power of the Dog, which is the new oh. Jane Campion film on Netflix.
1: Yeah, yeah, and yeah.
0: The one thing that we kept talking about with the movie was like, oh my God, it's like, it's real buildings. It's real stuff. And there's, I, don't, I really don't think anybody like under the age of 25 understands just how fake everything is now in movies. And- right. All of the real in Rosewood, and I mean, and I just want to. Um, the cinematography was done by Johnny E. Jensen. The set design was done by Paul Silbert, who won an Oscar for *Heaven Can Wait* for a production design. Um, but like, the, that's a great film. The two biggie ones. I mean, this this movie is costume designed by the the great Ruthie Carter, who has done most of Spike Lee stuff, and just 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 finally won an Oscar for *Black Klansman* a few years ago. Or, or, sorry, *Black Panther*. Um, yeah. And and. It's got a John Williams score that I, I, I'm i going to, this is a, this is a top 10 John Williams score for me. This score is really good. I
1: wholeheartedly agree. It is, it is incredible how, how much it doesn't sound like John Williams on top of everything else. Like when you think of his bombast and his like Spielbergian sense of whimsy, like it's, it, it really takes on a different mood and it fits this piece so well and like it's one of those i i was watching this with my wife earlier and she was pointing out parts of the score she really liked and i was like yeah you know it's good because it's john williams <laughs> well and so, there's
0: like and you're, and you're totally right there's 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 the sort of like stereotypical like everybody knows john williams right there's there's the star wars john williams there's superman john williams there's all you know and and everything, and and yeah, E. T. and and you know the, the Spielberg list goes on. And actually, yeah. funnily enough, he's nominated this year for Amistad for for that yeah. score. Um, but like, and it, it's so funny, and just by comparison, and again, totally dating when we're watching this. But this morning, I had on Home Alone, absolutely forgetting that he did the score for that, and I'm like, fuck, right. fuck me, it's like, when, I guess when you're that good, you're an easy target. But when when it's true, it's true. He's just that good.
1: He's just that good. Uh, On our podcast, we we do John Williams Oscar Watch. I
0: I I I, I was listening to your um, the Rocky one today, and that totally (laughs) I thought that was so great. I thought that was a great little (laughs) recurring bit on the show.
1: So it started out as Walt Disney Oscar Watch Uh, because Walt Disney uh, wins twenty two Oscars in his lifetime. Yeah, and then. Walt Disney died and almost as soon as Walt Disney dies, John Williams starts getting nominated for Academy <laughs> Awards. So it's just kind of a, a real smooth transition.
0: That is fantastic. That's great. Um, you know, That that really tickled me. I enjoyed that a lot. Um, But I'm like, glad. and, and, and it's so funny because, you know, le- kind of leading into, again, to who, you know, who made the movie, this is John Singleton, who at this point, this is only his fourth film. And, yeah. And, and, Prior to this, um, I now I have not seen Poetic Justice, but I have seen Boys in the Hood and I have seen Higher Learning. Um, now, Boys in the Hood is seminal. O- I mean, obviously,
1: yeah, um, it's one of the finest films I've ever made.
0: Yeah, and, and Higher Learning is actually uh, I I think I, I, as a story about uh, college athletes go just just on that on that side of it alone, I thought was I thought was great. Um, mm-hmm. But like, you can feel that like he's made enough of these uh, kind of you know, more mainstream contemporary movies that, and, and, but actually my first note I took, which kind of goes into this was um, Warner brothers. Wow. This actually had some money behind it. And, and like, I, again, I don't, I, I know there are, there are so many like wonderful uh, actively working black directors in Hollywood today, but like Mm -hmm. John's like, you know, if you really like outside of Spike Lee, there really weren't a huge number of recognizable names, and you know, John Singleton yeah. really, I, I think, earned earned this opportunity to make a a big important period piece.
1: Right. I mean, he's he's the first black director to get nominated for best director. He's the youngest person to be nominated for best director for Boys in the Hood. Um, Poetic justice is it's a real nice movie. Uh, it's kind of silly in parts, but I I that's, really that's
0: the Tupac it, one, right?
1: Yeah, Tupac okay. Janet Jackson. Yes, uh okay. Regina real good Regina King performance in that. Um so uh that that's a movie I just kinda grew up with. Uh because I I had seen all three of those movies before this was released. Yeah. When I and again I was thirteen when this came out. So uh somehow I I missed this film at that part of my life, but I had seen Boys in the Hood and uh, and higher learnings a real kitchen sink movie, but it's, it's kind of a mess, but it's real, it's a real thoughtful mess. So I, I like that film.
0: I mean, it's, I know it's tough cause I, it's, it's a thoughtful mess that has, you know, uh, Lawrence Fishburne and Omar Epps in it. And I'm like, I really like both of them a lot.
1: Yeah. Oh, and, and <laughs> Buster rhymes, a real young Buster rhymes.
0: Oh, that's right. Yes. <laughs> he's, he's like in the dorm rooms all the time.
1: Yeah, him, him, and Ice Cube were hanging out together through most of the movie. Yep. Michael Rapaport's real awesome in that movie. Yep. Um, I mean, you know, it's it's a good performance. I don't want to say his character is awesome. But...
0: And and you know, on um on a thousand and one by one, when we when we when we covered Boys in the Hood, you know, one thing that we talked about with him was it's just so it's unfortunate. Basically, after this movie, it's, I mean, you know, Shaft is what it was, Baby Boy too fast too furious four brothers which i'll be honest i haven't seen and then uh, abduction which like <sighs> as your last feature it's like that really that's and and he i know he did tv he yeah. did some he did episodic S- stuff
1: snowfall yeah
0: but oh man yeah that's it, yeah uh, he I, he deserved better
1: i only watched abduction because he directed it yeah like, it's
0: wait are you telling good. me you didn't watch it for taylor lotner i mean
1: well Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna be hundred percent honest with you right now. I'm a huge Shark Boy and Lava Girl fan. Oh, I have not seen
0: that. So I'm gonna I'll bow out. I'll bow out.
1: Um, but no, he he didn't do anything for me after that. Um I I'm a big Robert Rodriguez fan in general. Oh, so, that's cool. Uh, that's cool, yeah, yeah, yeah. So spy kids and shark boy and lava girl are are real nice now that I get to blame my kids on me watching them and not because I was a 20-year-old when they all started coming out. <laughs>
0: That's that's a career. We're, we're not here to talk about Rodriguez, but his is also a really interesting career. Um so uh I, I wanna I wanna flip it back to you. I, I feel like I started that, that, that nice that nice tangent, but like what's what so what, what sticks out the most to you about this movie? Like what's what in what in, what impresses you maybe the most about it?
1: I think what impresses me the most about it is its boldness. The fact that it was willing to cover subject matter that was not being talked about in this time. I mean, what? We're just like 15 years removed from this story being uncovered. Yeah. Like publicly. And just a couple of years after the, like the six or seven survivors getting reparations from this horrific event. And it's so ahead of its time in that way where it's talking about the boiling white rage that is just festering in this nation, still is. Uh, And we're just now getting to the point where we're seeing more stories about that, where uh, just a couple of years ago, the Watchmen series comes out and they do the Tulsa episode at the beginning. And people on Twitter even african-americans on twitter are saying yeah i went to like an hbcu and uh learned all uh, learned everything i was supposed to learn and watchman is the first time i'm hearing about tulsa it's incredible that these stories are so buried in our history and they just keep boiling back up to the top for us to see where we have come as a nation
0: well and, and that, i think the sorry
1: Oh, I was, gonna, I was just going to wrap up, but I think the boldness of covering a topic like that in this time is what really stands out the most for me.
0: I, one thing I I've always appreciated about, uh, John Singleton is, is sometimes, sometimes he's just very obvious with, uh, the message. I, I, uh, I love that boys in the hood opens up with a stop sign. I think that's like mm-hmm. immediately. I'm just like that. Yep. Good. I, I know what you're going for. Yeah. Um, Since we're
1: not mixing the metaphors here, (laughs) you know what I'm trying to say.
0: But what I, what I loved was the the final, the final title card of the movie says this, and I'm just going to read it. The official death toll of the Rosewood massacre, according to the state of Florida is eight, two whites and six blacks. The survivors, a handful of whom are still alive today, place the number anywhere between 40 and 150, nearly all of them African-American. Now, the reason why that, that, Little line I've, I I find so important is because who's who's who is representing the state of Florida? My guess mm-hmm. is it's a bunch of good old white folk, um, and that and and it's important it's important to put it that way because history isn't written necessarily the way it happened. It's written by the people who are in power, and right, and so I. I think that la- I mean, I'm 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 happy. I'm, I and it's so weird to to think about title card placement. But I'm so happy they started with the reparations and ended with that because I think yeah. it's important to leave you to leave you thinking. I'm we're glad that it happened, but also like, what what also don't we know about what happened during those right. few days in Rosewood? And exactly. I, it's 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 so it's crazy how powerful just straight like just words on a screen can be but i i found mm-hmm. that really great
1: yeah and I mean you're thinking about the the actual rosewood we're like deep in the middle of the clan resurgence uh thanks to DW Griffith's birth of a nation speaking of words on the screen oh yeah and so you you get the direct correlation from that to this and it's
0: it's it's incredible uh well and then and i think the other thing that i um i i there i think there are there are two big things that i i want to mention before we get to the categories and, and I'll, I'll throw it back to you too no worries but okay. um i really really loved the the layered storytelling i never felt lost and mm-hmm. i never felt like too much was going on i love that you know we 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 see the empty lot. We hear that John Voight wants to buy it. We have Ving Rames comes in and we're like, Ooh, the mysterious, I I love the, the mysterious stranger comes into town. Right. And he, and he's, he's befriended and we get to meet Don Cheadle's family and, and uh, Scrappy starts to fall for Ving Rames and, and aunt Sarah works for Fanny. And, and then obviously all of that, that spirals out of control. And I never feel like it's too complicated or, or I don't know what's going on. and, and I, I'm, and and it's, it's and it's it was really interesting scene, and I I don't know how else to phrase this, so I'm just gonna say, the spectrum of racism, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, the uh-huh. the like the the John Voight, Michael Rooker characters, both trying to like, quote unquote, do their best in the situation, and then you know you've got the, I mean let's just be real, you've got um, uh, Bruce McGill on the other end of the spectrum, just fucking getting drunk and killing people because he just feels like it's time to yeah. do it
1: yeah him and him and mark boone jr in this who
0: really 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 uh i got a i got a a nice a nice smile when he ended up getting offed uh, i gotta be real yeah um, He's
1: just just a bit
0: <laughs> um but like i i was so surprised and then i was i i was unfortunately more surprised later when i did the research on gregory poyer to realize that he didn't he didn't do much else did you ever see yeah. the movie tomcats because that's... i have not
1: seen the movie tomcats even in even in 2001 i was not interested in that film.
0: i think that that so i would have been like uh like 13 14 like i any you know at that age any opportunity for me to possibly see boobs i'm I yeah. was in. so that was...
1: I, I was i was 17 i was uh not to be too crass but i was in the midst of actually seeing real boobs around this time so uh, and
0: i i wasn't quite there yet yeah so so,
1: and and i was a huge fan of sliders so like jerry o'connell being in a movie should have been an automatic go for me but just something about that movie was off and i was like "Eh, no i'm (laughs) good
0: yeah no 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 worries there um so uh before we get into the categories the the last thing that i i want to say and and i i'm going to i'm going to phrase it to you as a question okay how do you feel about the last 15 minutes of the movie
1: <sighs> okay i have very complicated emotions about the last 15 great. minutes
0: great me too i love it
1: because i know I know it's goofy and it doesn't fit really at all. Yeah. yeah. But, but I mean, they set up, they set up Ving Rames as pretty much uh, the man with no name. Yes, and, absolutely. And so they put him in this Western shootout on this train. And John Singleton was a guy who didn't want to be quote unquote, the black director, uh, he wanted to be an everyman, which is why he kind of goes after things like Shaft and Too Fast, Too Furious. After this film, yeah, because while this film doesn't do well, he he wants to show that he is versatile, and he wants to show that he is not just the guy who's going to make Growing Up in the Hood films. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, which which is kind of his repertoire up to this point. So him saying, oh, you know, I was, I'm inspired by Westerns too. So watch me do a Western shootout in this film. And it also, I think the thing that actually turns me away a little bit more is when Don Cheadle shows back up. I understand and watching it a second time, it's not as jarring as it was the first time, but I remember the first time I was watching this, like what the fuck?
0: Yeah. It's, it's, there are, and, and, you know, and I'm sure that you know this, you, you watch enough movies and especially when you watch enough movies, like taking notes and being way more. I mean, I love to just like watch a movie and like not have my notebook with me. Um, But when you're doing it for this, it was like when they didn't show the face of the body in the burning house instantly, you're like, Oh, he's not dead. He's not dead. And then, yeah. and then, you know, enough time goes by. and I'm like, okay, maybe he is. But then it's like, and he rides up on the horse. I'm like, no, 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 of course he's, he's good. Um, I mean,
1: yeah pretty much uh and, and there's
0: also there's also in that in the in the train sequence there's i oh god um oh, oh so i a couple of weeks ago i did Dante's peak and there was a there's a in the chaos of the movie there's just a little girl sitting down crying that they show for some reason <laughs> and i'm like we don't know this little girl why are you doing this and in the movie there's the same thing where there's the young kid just like we we forgot about the one little boy way the fuck back there. Of course, he's got to hop. I'm like, come on, come on. We're <laughs> we we want you to get a. We want you to escape. You you don't have to do this. It uh, it happens
1: in Titanic too. Like it's it's just a big thing. <laughs> yes, I know.
0: Yeah, you couldn't couldn't escape the the final tropes of the movie. Um, okay, cool, okay. That that's cool. And then I, I also felt there there. So so the train thing happens. And then we have like a you know a, a a Return of the King style thing where we have all of these other little endings afterwards, mm-hmm. and like we get the one with John Voight and his kids, and they end up calling Mary their mom, and like oh that's that's great. And then Bruce yeah. McGill Bruce McGill's kids like you know you're a terrible father, I'm out. Um, but then I'll we- say
1: that that was the most satisfying ending to me. Yeah,
0: it was absolutely because then what we get is we have Fanny. And her husband, whose name I'm going to have right here in a second, um, uh,
1: James James Taylor.
0: Yes, we have this weird moment where he comes home and just beats his wife, and I'm I'm left going, okay. This this woman really is she's she's the spark in the kindling of this whole event. So I don't want good things to happen to her but when that happens i'm also like but what is that and and now may, right. and maybe and maybe that's the point is to be like well shit like th- no i mean really nobody's winning in the situation but i right. i i was so like
1: it's I, it's yeah. such a weird bit of cosmic justice that you know, like i mean she probably deserved to get her face pushed in but not not by her husband. That's
0: Yeah, it was it was it was a rough. That, it was a rough uh that's, mini ending.
1: That's not the right person. That Yeah. You know, it I guess it it would have been too corny if it was like she had come face to face with one of the women on the train and they punched her real hard and <laughs> it's like, "What is this?" But, you know, uh, it it's bizarre. It's a bizarre moment.
0: Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, so before we get to the categories, any any big any big glaring like I I have to get this out just in case it doesn't come up later that you you want to say about Rosewood. Um,
1: not the movie specifically. This is a film that even its even its flaws kind of work for me in in kind of an offsetting way just because the flaws kind of distract from the horror and it is such a horror show and i i said i i this is the second time i've watched this movie this year yeah and just pressing play on it made me feel terrible just because i knew what i was about to witness and any anything that distracted from any of that was a welcome reprieve.
0: I know, and I, I, I you know, I should say that I, 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 have by no means tried to avoid, um, like the middle part of the movie where essentially all of the the really terrible things that the whites are doing to the black people in the community are happening, and that that's not intentional. Um, and uh, and I know there's the the first few moments where they're trying to, there, there's the whole subplot here about this escaped uh, convict from the chain gang. Who they suspect is the one who did it, which of course we all know didn't do it. Um, yeah, and it leads to the uh, the the blacksmith getting taken, and then it, it basically is just this really bad domino effect of basically leading to um, Sylvester's house. And I knew, and again, it's another one of those if you, when you watch enough movies and you see something different, you know something's gonna happen. And so on on when it was the next day, but it also said uh, um, Arnett's birthday. It's like you haven't specified like it's just been a day. Right. So when you said Arnett's birthday, I'm like, you're telling me that because it's this little boy's birthday and something fucking terrible is going to happen.
1: Right. Exactly. And
0: it it does. And, and all of the stuff the the, the treatment of, of, of the black community in this movie is it's, it is really hard to watch. And obviously the, there's a purpose to it because of, of the real life implications Um, I I don't mean to skip over it for any other reason than just it's hard to just talk about it. And there are there are really some really great filmmaking things in the movie that should hopefully propel people to want to watch it. Yeah. Uh, Okay. let's let's go on now to the categories. Uh, the first little chunk here, uh subtitled. I've got a good feeling about this, which is great because sometimes you mean that and sometimes you don't. So let's go with the don't side of things. Uh, we'll start with what, what are some things that have never left 1997?
1: Uh, apparently Johnny E. Jensen's film career didn't leave 97. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. That's I, I, he it seemed like he did a lot of comedies, Uh, uh not yeah. successful comedies after this.
1: No, a, this was probably his his best looking thing. I mean, he does Ladies Man in 2000 and that's like the last big studio film he does. And that's not a great film.
0: Yeah. I I have a, I, I have one I have two answers. One of mine is very similar and he, he's somebody that we didn't say at the beginning. His name is James Woolvet. Now, now this guy you might remember as the Schofield kid in Unforgiven. Uh, he is Uh, like he's like the lower ranking deputy beneath Michael Rooker in this movie I didn't really like him in Unforgiven I really didn't like him in this and and (laughs) he he has not acted now now I know I said 97 technically this would be uh in 2008 would be specific because he has not he has not done anything since 2008 but if you look after this it is it's a lot of TV movies it's a lot of guest spots on on like you know like (laughs) series it's it was pretty much that for him. Right. Uh, the only, I only, had, I only had one and I kind of, it, it, it hasn't left, but I'm, I'm sure it probably has. I, I I just really hate the, the child that we don't know. That's that's left behind. I just don't <laughs> like it. I fucking, I really don't like it at all. That
1: could stay in 97.
0: <laughs> Please. I know. I really would. Um, th- okay, So things that have made it to 2022. I, uh, I'm, I'm proud of this one. I said the thrill of an auction. Yeah, I, I I've never been to one, but I've seen a lot of them on like really bad reality TV. And I'm always like, oh, God, who's going to get it?
1: I was. Yeah, there's just one in the Hawkeye series.
0: Oh, I haven't started that, but
1: OK. An auction. It, the, yeah. It's in the first episode. There's no spoiler. I, <laughs> I,
0: I, I really hope there's no spoiler at an auction in Hawkeye. That would. Wow. Shit.
1: Yeah. whoo. Like, we Ooh. might
0: have just pissed off a lot of people.
1: I, I hope
0: I did. Nice. I, no, no,
1: I, listen to my podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, but that was other than I mean, other than the unfortunate and obvious, like the fight that we're still fighting today. Um, that was my only other kind of like I don't know, fun one.
1: Yeah. Um for me, I I I brought it up a little bit earlier, but we're finally getting the the echoes of the uh social implications of this film. Uh we're, we're finally starting to see more of these stories come forward and be mainstream and be brought up in very important and thoughtful ways. Yeah. Uh much like this film was. So that's that's something I'm glad has finally made it to 2021. Yeah. Yeah. Um so thank you Watchmen, thank you uh Lovecraft Country whether, whether you love that show or not it brought up a lot of a lot of stuff yeah yeah for sure
0: um so we'll shift now over to uh the dot-com crash and boom um so uh it's 1997 you've just seen this movie uh you can you can put some money on an actor or a director whoever um uh we talk about them a- a- as if they were a stock so uh whose stock rose the highest since this movie and whose stock has plummeted the most since this movie any any thoughts there
1: uh, my biggest thought is don Cheadle. That was this mine. is, it's his breakout year because it's this. He's in Out of Sight and he's in, um,
0: Boogie, Nights. Boogie Nights. Yeah,
1: and they're all three incredible performances from him. Yeah. So, so to see him just kind of shoot to the A list a few years later in, um, Ocean's Eleven.
0: Well, and, uh, and and he's I mean he, and he's just so consistently worked throughout. All those years, he picks up yeah. an Oscar nom for Hotel Rwanda, keeps doing the Oceans movies, keeps working with Steven Soderbergh. I mean, he was just in um, No Sudden Move. This no year. Sudden
1: Move. Oh, yeah. I love that film.
0: And he's also, he's got, uh, he's the lead of that show on Showtime, um, Black Monday.
1: Yeah.
0: So, I, by the way, totally agree. My my answer was Don Cheadle. No, no if ands, or buts. Um, whose stock would you say has plummeted the most?
1: Uh, you brought him up, and uh, my answer was Gregory Poirier cuz yeah. what his his immediate follow up to this is The Lion King 2 Simpa's Pride.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I don't I I I know I saw that. I I also I'm not even sure if that's sole credit. I think he has to share credit on that too. So
1: Yeah, I think he does. Uh though no, he did additional written material. So he's not even oh, yeah. like the writer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So his biggest and most interesting thing since then was getting a story credit on uh, National Treasure 2 yes. Book of Secrets starring uh, Francis Ward Coppola's nephew, Nicholas Cage.
0: Yes, yes. Uh, wonderful and Pig. Wonderful and Pig. Um
1: Wonderful. I love Prisoners of the Ghostland too. I gotta oh, watch that itself South by that. Southwest. It
0: um, so this was actually this was a fun one. So Oscar reexamination. Um, and I so I I don't some of the, like when I did Beverly Hills Ninja, I was like, fuck this, we're not doing this for for that movie. Um but for this one, I so I picked 3 categories um to just kind of talk about and be like and just just we'll have the conversation is there any room for this to have been nominated? I picked 3. So okay. here are the 5 nominees for cinematography that year. Titanic Winds, Amistad, Kundin, LA Confidential and The Wings of the Dove. Could we see Rosewood slipping in there?
1: Uh I would I would easily kick out Wings of the Dove uh, knowing knowing what I know, Yanush wins for Saving Private Ryan in 98. So I could kick out Amistad. In fact, almost anything that Amistad got nominated for, I would put this in its place.
0: I, I Yeah, I agree. I, I think that's cool. And actually what's great is that – So uh, I and I agree on the Wings of the Dove, by the way, totally. Um, that leads to the next uh, category I wanted to bring up, which is Best Dramatic Score – uh, Titanic wins that year also nominated Kundin also nominated Amistad um, and then LA Confidential and Goodwill Hunting I I easily take out Amistad
1: you you shift this for Amistad and John Williams still gets an Oscar nomination I don't know if costume design is your next one
0: no it, it wasn't and, I, and I, I, I only picked three and I, I know I should have I
1: was gonna say costume design does the same thing because Ruthie Carter's nominated for Amistad shift out this ruth still gets a nomination.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What wow, what a good year for those two. God.
1: Yeah, right?
0: You know, in I mean, if we're talking about just uh whose stock rose the most in 97, you got some two good candidates <laughs> right there.
1: Right? Um and I then, mean oh. I I don't know if John Williams stock rises, but he he definitely doesn't go down any.
0: No. No, no I know it's it's tough when you're always just up here.
1: Yeah, cuz he's got a he's got Lost World Jurassic Park this year too. Oh, that's right. So. That's right.
0: Yep. Um, And then, and this one is maybe more of a stretch, but I figured why the fuck not? Let's talk about it. So best picture are Titanic wins. We also have as good as it gets LA confidential goodwill hunting and the full Monty. All
1: right. So this is treading into territory. I haven't covered in a long time. Yeah. Uh, Being a 13 year old boy in 1997, Titanic was one of my least favorite films ever. (laughs) I I went and saw that with two of my best female friends, all 13. They sobbed so hard during that movie, and I could not stand my life. They spent the next, like, three months calling me heartless because I didn't cry inside. Titanic. So uh, when we get to this on my podcast, I'll have more opinions. Sure. But uh, currently... I think this is one of the strongest lineups for a best picture and Titanic's the only one I would take out not having watched Titanic in about 20 years.
0: I, I think it, it's, t- I mean, for me, uh, LA confidential and goodwill hunting, no fucking way. Those are staying. Those are
1: Oh, LA confidential is my favorite film in 97. It's great.
0: Um, Titan. So, so we're, we're okay. And, and I can't take out Titanic because it won, it won so many, it's really iconic. So I'm, I'm okay with that in there. As Good as It Gets and The Full Monty. Now I remember loving As Good as It Gets, and I, I watched it a couple years ago. And I, it's not that I didn't like it, but I my love for it wasn't as strong. And and on the flip side, the my love for The Full Monty has gone up.
1: It's the- so good.
0: So and I I know I know I know Jack Nicholson and Helen Hunt win. But of the five, and I'm not saying that I would do it, but of the five, I think I, I'm the most comfortable with taking as good as it gets out.
1: That's fair. Um, and I mean, it's not like James L. Brooks is hurting for nominations. He has two Academy, three Academy Awards at this point, all for his first film. Oh,
0: yeah, so. yeah. Uh, that's uh, Terms of Endearment, right?
1: Terms of Endearment, nineteen eighty three. You can listen to us cover that on the Oscar Worthy podcast.
0: <laughs> um. So then, we so we're down to the last uh, the last two questions. Um. Does this film make anyone's Mount Rushmore? I I thought of two people I would bring up. Um. Does this make Ving Rhames's Mount Rushmore?
1: Oh man, that is a question. So uh, I,
0: my my immediate two were Pulp Fiction and then obviously he gets to play Luther in all of the Mission Impossible movies. So I those were the two I could think of for sure. And I, but like he he doesn't get to do like the lead often and I feel like he's so good in this.
1: Yeah, he is really good in this. Um for me personally, one of my top 10 favorite films of all time is uh Lilo and Stitch. So that goes on his Mount Rushmore for me.
0: Sure. Get some voice acting in there. I, I actually, as a joke I had on the side, I go, what about, what about his Arby's voiceover work?
1: <laughs> uh, that's a good one. Oh God. He's in Jacob's ladder. Oh,
0: he's man. also, he, and I, I love, I actually think he's, he's one of the best parts of, um of striptease. He's, I think he's hysterical in striptease.
1: I, I think he's, he's probably easily the best part of that movie.
0: Um, so that one, that one's tough. And I, I feel like there are actually a lot of probably like idiosyncratic picks for, for a lot of people's on that one. But can we, can we agree on Pulp Fiction and, and Mission Impossible?
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. I, I, I think those are, those are easily the, the two that you are going to have a hard time getting anybody to t- say no on.
0: Um, and then I just wanted to, uh, and, and and the only other one was John Singleton, and I feel like it's got to be his first four movies, right? Boys in the Hood, Poetic Justice, Higher Learning, and, and Rosewood.
1: I I personally would probably put Baby Boy over Higher Learning, okay. but it's a it's a film I have a, a deep admiration for, and I like that um, Too Fast, Too Furious is kind of getting uh, reclaimed in pop culture right now because of how much influence it has on the later films. Sure. Uh and and I'm a I'm a big nerd for the Fast and the Furious films. So Oh. That was
0: They are very oh, entertaining. Holy shit.
1: They Yeah, they are they are turn your brain off fun and they are exactly what I need like starting with 5 especially and going on through there it's just incredibly fun dumb films. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and I think I think if you go back to Too Fast Too Furious, it there, there's a lot of that in that film that wasn't in the first film and is absolutely not the third film.
0: Yeah, no, that that is for sure. The, the it actually that's that's true. I mean, I was I was just literally about to say I think Fast Five is the tone setter, but I think it is I think it's Too Fast Too Furious.
1: Yeah, uh it's just that it it was like a decade before and most people had already written it off as a bad film. Yeah. But Uh, and at the beginning of quarantine last year, my wife who had only ever seen the first one decided to ask if we could watch all of them. And I was like, well, nine's coming out. (laughs) Of course we have to wait another year for that after Uh, that. Yeah,
0: that's true. That's true.
1: So, so we watch all the fast and furious films, hoping that this COVID thing's going to blow over and don't get nine for another year. Um, yeah. Um, so roundabout way of saying, I think this definitely makes Singleton's Mount Rushmore. Yeah. I, uh, I think it easily makes Gregory Poirier's Mount Rushmore. <laughs> and it's probably all four heads on that.
0: I was going to say, yeah. Um, <laughs> so the last question, and 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 probably outside of Jerry Maguire, this is the easiest time I've been able to answer this. So I'll, I'll, read it, I'll read it verbatim. In another 25 years, when the world descends into chaos and madness, will anyone remember this film? Will it be worthy of another re-examination?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, I'm happy it's been been reexamined by a, a couple of podcasts I've listened to this year, and I'm happy to be part of that now. Uh, this is an incredible film, and I hope in 25 years, it's kind of looked at as a, a piece of media that's so far ahead of its time that it should have got the reclamation almost immediately kind of like a Shawshank redemption did
0: yeah i i know this this i i got done with this movie and i thought you know i thought about other movies that that deal with race and and that that show more of a harsh reality to to where where our country was um back in the 1920s and and my oldest is only 7 so this is not this is not a watch for her anytime soon but i you know i kind of have that mental checklist of like the movies that she needs to see his like showing like a, a history of our country and where we are. And I, I don't think this is going to need another 25 years to be reexamined. I think this is hopefully a yeah. movie that people find the time the the hard, the hard, the rest of my day is going to be ruined time to watch. I mean, I, I remember what I, in uh, 2013, when I saw 12 years a slave that I had a very similar kind of like this mm-hmm. movie needs to be seen. Um, and, yeah. And I, it- I, this, this is kind of uh, similar to me.
1: I, I feel that way about Fruitvale Station. Yes. Uh, Fruitvale Station is one of my favorite films of all time. And the second that movie starts, you're in for some shit. Yeah. And and he does not let you go until the end of that film. Coogler is a master of filmmaking.
0: I know. I, I, I'm really excited for, I, I say this about a lot of directors, but I'm, I'm really excited for his next not big thing. I can't wait to yeah. see his next like, creed yeah, yeah i
1: i don't know. <laughs> I, I was kind of hoping he would get the um he would get the the nolan treatment from disney where he he gets to make one for them and one for himself and go over to like one of their i don't even know what their adult arm is anymore i guess 20th century studios now Yeah, i guess i know yeah um uh, so he he would go over there and get to make another kugler film because yeah. I love. Him. Yeah, he's
0: great. Yeah. Um, so so there you go. Those are those are all the things. Um, Paul, do you want to take a second to talk about uh, your show that you're doing?
1: Uh, yeah. So uh, I do a show called the Oscar RISD podcast. It's a show where we're taking a look at the history of the Oscars and trying to uh, discuss where the Oscars went wrong. If they went wrong. Uh, currently, we are covering the best pictures. Uh, we have been at it for about a year and a half now, and we're up almost out of the 80s. We're, we're getting there. Uh, and we'll be covering different uh, topics after we finish with Best Picture. Uh, so if, if you listen to us, you'll get to know what those are.
0: Nice tease. Teases are always great. I, I end every episode with a tease, and I, I, I very much appreciate oh, that. And I'm assuming they can find you on all of the places for all of the things.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you can find us uh, where podcasts are found uh, on Wednesdays. We drop those episodes, and uh, we're doing a short series on Thursdays called Thursese, where we're looking at the oeuvre of Martin Scorsese, the knower of cinema himself. Um, You can follow us on twitter and instagram at oscaristipod and at facebook at the oscaristic podcast uh let us know if we're not where you listen to podcasts and you can listen you can find me personally at father of the fear across the platforms of twitter instagram TikTok. maybe i'll get back to doing those soon and letterboxd where i love ranking movies
0: awesome uh so paul thank you again for taking some time to talk about this movie i really appreciate you uh uh picking up the the beacon that i sent out and and I'm, taking this on
1: yeah i'm just happy i caught it because uh this this is a film that i do love and i am passionate about john singleton's filmography especially since we will not be getting any more of it
0: i know i know it's it's, it's unfortunate and he didn't get to really write the ship before he left oh god
1: it's so sad abduction is this last film i
0: know i know
1: it um, breaks my heart
0: so, and yeah, and same with us. You can find us on, on Instagram and, and Twitter. Uh, you can find us on Spotify and Google and all the places that you find podcasts. Here is the IMDB description for the film that we are talking about next week. An FBI undercover agent infiltrates the mob and finds himself identifying more with the mafia life at the expense of his regular one. That is next week. I am Adam, and I'll see you then.